0: you know at some point when you're starting a company you're going to be in a desperate position because you've made some mistake you know whether that's you just smashed up a machine that you couldn't afford to smash up or you bid a job that you didn't bid well and you're making parts and losing money on everyone or whatever it is and so having some guys who know the industry well know the machines I was running well and could give me real-time advice as to what decisions to make that was huge.
1: This is SWARFCAST. I'm Noah Graff. Today's guest on the podcast is John Perrin, owner and president of Perrin Industries, a small CNC machining company in Webster City, Iowa. John started Perrin Industries in 2018 after a 12-year career as a hospital administrator Like many entrepreneurs, John has had to face some daunting challenges. Starting out, he aggressively bought new state-of-the-art CNC equipment to make parts for the medical sector. When he had trouble penetrating that market, he successfully pivoted to firearms work. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. I am honored to be with Jonathan Perrin, owner and president of John Perrin Industries in Webster City, Iowa. Welcome to the show, John.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: First, let's just get an overview of John Perrin Industries. Tell me what you guys make and um, just give me a a little story of the company.
0: Perrin Industries, uh, we started in 2018. I left a 12-year career in hospital administration to start the company. We uh, set out to do medical, but found that the cost of entry was prohibitive for a startup. And so we ended up in more general industry, uh, environmental, and quite a large majority at the moment of what we're doing is uh, Glock component parts.
1: Glock component parts. So rather than healing people, (laughs) you're, you're kind of on the other end.
0: The irony, yeah.
1: Well... A lot of people who listen to this or who we've interviewed, they, they like to say that they're in the shoot them up, sew them up business. They're doing both at the same time.
0: <laughs> we would love to get into medical. It's still our long term goal.
1: Is medical. I mean, I've heard different things. It seems like part of it is just getting the right certification to get in. That's that's one challenge.
0: Yeah, we, right at startup, which was costly to do, but we became ISO 9001 2015 and then AS9100 Rev D. But we had to stop there because just the cost was enormous at that point. And going further to get medical was another big leap. And we we were at a point at that time where we just needed to start generating some revenue. Not that you couldn't do both simultaneously, but we just, we were having a hard time And, and the process for getting an approved supplier with the companies we were working with was a very long process.
1: Give me, Tell me about that process. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I talk to people and they talk about working at it to get to be certified. Yeah. What do you have to do?
0: Well, I, I would say in hindsight, what, what I didn't know then, what I know now is that most medical companies, I'm sure there's small exceptions, but the ones we were working with, they really don't want to work up with startup companies, regardless of the credentials of anybody running it or whatever. You know, they're looking for companies with established revenue and history um, for good reason. And so the cost of entry and in their process for vetting new suppliers and for approval process for parts is lengthy. Um, it's not something that happens in weeks. It happens over months, or in my case, it would have it was more like a year and we still weren't uh, in production.
1: So how do people break in though, because people do break in, obviously.
0: Well, I I can't say because I haven't broken in, but I, (laughs) (laughs) I think from others I know in the industry, but it's probably from what I understand best to start out kind of like what we're doing, general industry, building some history and having some years of profitability and having certification, not for like, Hey, I got certified six months ago, but Hey, we've been certified since, you know, 2015, that kind of thing.
1: All right. Well, great. Now you touched on it before, but give me the three minute bio. So you, you grew up in the industry a little bit.
0: Yep. Grew up in a screw machine shop that my dad started in 1980, still running today. He is uh, across the street from us and we have a uh, close relationship. My sister's in the business as well, mostly running the day-to-day of that company for my dad. But yeah, I left for college at 18 and went to Florida, became a hospital administrator over a series of years in college, and Did that for 12 years.
1: Why did you choose that field? You, did, were you specifically attracted to being a hospital administrator?
0: Yeah, I was. And I still, I have a lot of good friends in that industry and in the medical field. And I, I still do love medical Manufacturing is not simple, but the transaction is, and I love that part of it, which is quite different from the complexity of the transaction in healthcare. But, you know, for example, I bid a job you potentially award me the job as my customer i make a part to print and then you pay me for that part you know and i i love that and i love the making process as a hospital administrator you're managing a system and so it's not always very quantifiable in that leadership kind of role but it is very quantifiable in manufacturing you know i'm i'm successful based on the parts i make I can easily see how many parts I made. I can tell if they were good. I like that part of
1: it. What did you like about being a hospital administrator? Did you do it partly because you felt like it was a a good thing to do? Like you're helping people by doing it? Not that I would know exactly what a hospital administrator would even entail, but.
0: Like a lot of hospital administrators, I was pre-med and then became a hospital administrator after not going to medical school but i enjoy that environment i like the people that i worked with uh, working with the nurses and doctors that i did it was a really challenging yeah experience and it's just fun to work with they're pretty pretty bright individuals so it's pretty challenging fun rewarding to be in that environment but like i said i i, I would say my heart is in manufacturing i love the process of making something you know and so i've really found a lot of enjoyment coming back to manufacturing
1: So do you feel like with your work, you see a more tangible product being in the parts business than managing a hospital?
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, it, you know, it's different. A doctor, you know, he goes into surgery and he performs a surgery and he sees the results of his work, but leading a system, you're managing the day-to-day operation and dealing with a lot of fires. It's not, it's not super quantifiable, you know? And so, and that's just the nature of management of anything, you know, but manufacturing while it's challenging field, it is fun to make something and see what you've made. And, uh, And like I said, it's just easily quantifiable if you did a good job or not at the end of the day.
1: Sure. And there's eight people at the company?
0: Yeah, we have eight full-time employees. We run uh, three shifts, Monday through Friday, a couple weekend shifts. Um, And you're
1: pretty hands-on on on the floor then yourself? Yeah,
0: programming and setups is mostly what I do still at this point uh, with the size of our company.
1: I mean, you are the manager too, correct? Yeah, correct.
0: Yeah. And janitor.
1: And janitor. (laughs) Well, that's pretty important, actually.
0: (laughs) Pretty much everything.
1: Well, so does that make things bite into what you're able to do for one thing or another?
0: Yeah, at this time, I mean, I would still say, you know, we're four years in now. So I think when you're starting a company, you're in survival mode for some period of time where it's all hands on deck. Everybody does everything that needs to be done. And uh, and right now, the most I can offer this company is performing the setups and programming. But we are moving out of that phase. We have operators now who are more than operators that can do some programming and some setups. And so that frees me up more uh, to do more administrative tasks. And I think that's just the nature of, you know, building a company so i won't always be in the role of setting up jobs hopefully not you know because if i am then we haven't really accomplished what we set out to do but um but certainly no
1: sure what what machines do you guys have you have some very uh as i would say glamorous cnc machines
0: yeah we went we went all in for better or worse and uh it was a steep learning curve because my background of course was screw machines so
1: like at your dad's shop you ran acme's
0: yeah, Acne's, yeah. And of course, that was dating back to high school too, so it a long gap. But uh, we have a uh, Index C200, which is a three-turret XYZ axis machine, uh, two-spindle. We have a uh, Traub TNX 6542, which is a four-turret
1: two-spindle. Wow. Holy crap. So just let's just deviate a little bit because... Yeah, sure. All these things blow my mind with all the turrets, and I'm always confused between the troub and the Index Turning Centers. Can those machines kind of do some of the same thing that you could take a job from the triple turret and put it on the four turret and back and forth, or is it a totally different monster?
0: Well, you know, the fourth turret, you have more live tool positions, and we have XYZ access and all, true XYZ in all four turrets. So, We have a job that's in there that just happens to be perfect for that machine. But yeah, there's a lot of crossover. There's jobs that would run on both machines. You know, you don't need four turrets for most jobs.
1: How much did that cost? (laughs) The the quadruple turret. You don't have to tell me. I mean...
0: Well, so the the C two hundred with all the live tools and everything set up, I think Turnkey for the job that we bought it for was just over a million.
1: Whoa, a million! That was a lot more than I was expecting. I was expecting six to eight hundred.
0: Yeah, it would be around eight hundred and fifty probably with stripped down. But you know, by the time you tool it up, the live tools are expensive, and then the TROB we bought used, and so our all-in investment was about half that on the TROB.
1: Interesting. And you have an MS-22?
0: Uh, no, my dad across the street has an MS-32, six spindle.
1: I thought I saw on your website, like a uh, image of a... MS-22.
0: Yeah. We, funny story. We issued the PO for that machine. And then the machine... Ended up not being available, and then when it did come available, we weren't able to get the contract that we were buying it for due to the time.
1: Now you better have the contract if you're going to buy that machine. Yeah,
0: so it never it never happened. It needs to be taken off the website, but uh, but yeah, Dad's got the MS.
1: Oh, you don't need to take. It looks cool.
0: <laughs> they are neat. They're neat machines for sure.
1: And you have indexes, so what's why not? That's true. Right now, you are doing big into firearms yeah which lots of people are doing what type of parts exactly ammunition or gun parts
0: specifically glock barrels and slides is what we we got a contract doing been doing it for about two years and uh it's been good work the volumes has been really good and and uh you know our machines are well suited for it
1: so do you need really fancy machines to do those parts
0: uh, tons of people do those parts on Haas machines, but what's been unique for us is we've been able to go after really large contracts and we're single oping the parts. And so we're making the parts in like literally less than like 30% of the time that our competitors are. So we've been able to price them pretty competitively. So it's been, you know, we bought the machines to do medical work and, and some different things. And, and for whatever reason, that just the firearms thing kind of was the hot thing when it, once we had them, you know, so.
1: Look, you have cooler machines than almost everybody. I know, particularly, I mean, startup companies, would you consider yourself a startup still? I mean.
0: Yeah, definitely. We are. Yeah.
1: They don't normally dive in with machines like that. I mean, maybe after a little bit. Yeah. What, um, so the reason you went and bought those machines, it was kind of like, all right, if we have these machines, we can get the really complicated medical parts and it's going to lead to some awesome work. Was that your thinking?
0: Um, there was a transition time between starting my company and and coming from hospital administration. And I had gone to probably a dozen designed apart shows representing my dad's screw machine company and at that time he only had screw machines since then he's bought hydromats and he has a index c100 and ms32 now but what was very obvious after covering the country in these design shows was just that the opportunities for swiss work and traditional swiss work and screw machine work was very very competitive and a lot of the big houses were already established for it. And that's one man's experience. It doesn't mean that that's, I mean, that's just, that was my observation. And I don't know if the approach we took was right. It's just the approach I decided to take. So I thought getting some machines that would allow us to do complex work, single op, was where I where I was seeing at the, at the time, you know, a specific amount, you know, just a, a year's time. But when I was at the Design department shows, I was seeing a lot of that kind of work being shopped out work that was either going to need two or three machines to make it or one very sophisticated machine and i thought that getting into that industry was where i was seeing the opportunity and uh, and so that's that's where i decided to jump into like i said i I mean i don't know as though i would recommend that to somebody else but it's you know so far it's worked for us
1: well that's great that you made a gamble on the one kind of machine yet then you were able to pivot when it didn't work and get enough work for them that you didn't go. Whoa, crap! You know, I have million-dollar machine and now nothing to run it on. I, I'm assuming those gun parts, lucrative as they may be, they're probably not as lucrative as the medical parts would be to pay off the machines quickly.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, again, I would be speaking on a class. So I, I didn't really get far enough into the medical to see what is there, but certainly the perception is that medical is some of the highest-paying work a shop can get. My perception, um, but since I have not really had a lot of medical, I don't know the case. I'm happy with the rates I'm getting uh, with my other, you know, my firearms work and my general industry work. It's all been good enough to pay make rate on those machines. And there seems to be a lot of that work even still for complex parts. You know, stuff that uh, not everybody has, or would, or if they could make it, they would have to make it on multiple machines.
1: You know, how do you go about getting the work? Uh, I've used design to part.
0: I use sales reps.
1: What's the second one?
0: Sales reps.
1: Oh, sales reps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But um, probably the the most successful that I've been has just been word of mouth. Yeah. And that's kind of through my dad's contacts and just also some contacts I've made have been huge for me. Uh, Jake Granger, namely, and Alpha Granger Company in Massachusetts, he's been a mentor of mine, and I would not still be in business without his help,
1: for sure. And he's probably the reason why you decided to buy Index.
0: (laughs) Uh, He was a big proponent, for sure, yeah.
1: Why did you choose to start your own company as opposed to go into business with your father?
0: I plan to do both. Um, My dad is nearing retirement and I hope to be in a position to buy him out. I think it was just the way it worked. You know, I wasn't coming in as like, I didn't come straight in after high school or even right after college. By the time I entered back into this arena, I was in my mid thirties, you know? And uh, I I think, it. you know, for our family, like for what worked best for us and, and for my dad and I, it was probably for us to be What I'd say together, but separate, you know, running different companies, but in close proximity to each other. And, uh, I bounce a lot off of him as far as ideas go and and plans and, and the things I invest in and things, but, uh, but it is nice at the end of the day to kind of run separate, separate companies at the same time.
1: Do you think it made you feel more successful to have gone on your own as opposed to join the business?
0: No, I don't think so. I don't consider myself successful yet in this industry. I I I'm blessed to still be in business after 4 years. You know, we've made plenty of mistakes and but I think it's better for him and I in our relationship to do it the way we did. And I think each family is probably different and it, it it's just a case by case, but the, this model worked well for us.
1: What would you make you feel successful in the end? What what would that look like?
0: You know, my, my ultimate goal is to be in a position to buy him out here, um, when he's ready to retire. And so to be able to do that, we need to be in a financial position, uh, to buy him out. So that would be, you know, how I would measure my success. I would say in the next five to 10 years.
1: Interesting. What's one of the most interesting or important things you learned from your father?
0: uh resilience for sure i think anybody in manufacturing has to be extremely resilient and something i've observed from my dad is he just he takes risks but they're calculated and he doesn't extend himself so far that he can't weather the next you know storm whatever that is there's always a storm in manufacturing it seems like and if you're not in one it's probably (laughs) common and so just making sure
1: in my opinion, in my experience, your dad, he likes to risk buying expensive used machines.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has the right group for that. you know he has some himself, but also some of his employees are extremely well suited for taking a very complex machine and rebuilding it. you know uh, It's not a skill that I possess, and so I do not venture down that road.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I remember he bought that index and then had to put a lot of money into the index or he bought a parts washer and had to put a lot of money into the parts washer. But I can see, yeah, with equipment, he's a risk taker. I remember he bought an Acme from us and he was quite the haggler.
0: (laughs) I think he's done well overall with his used machine acquisitions, you know. Um,
1: Are you a haggler like him?
0: I... It is not in me to negotiate. I'm very admittedly bad at it. So I hmm, um, interesting. I like the new machine transaction and that it's a little bit simpler as far as like, I know what the guy across the country paid for his. So I know about what I'm going to pay for mine and I know what I'm getting used equipments. You just have to know what you're doing, you know? I don't think for me coming out of healthcare, being away from the industry for a long time, getting to equipment I knew very little about would have probably been ideal for me to buy those used because I just wasn't, I needed my handheld a little bit, you know? And so I probably wasn't well suited for it. For my dad, who's been in it forever, he's extremely knowledgeable. You know, it makes sense. And at some point it'll make sense for me.
1: Some people are, it's worth it. It's worth the time and the grief and the, And other people, they make the calculation. I mean, obviously, from my perspective of being a used machine tool dealer, I hope some people feel like it's worth the risk.
0: It is. It is worth the risk. Well, we so we bought that TROB used. I told you about that. And I've made a lot more money. Where
1: did you buy it?
0: Uh, I bought it from Alpha Granger, actually. And so, but I've made more money off that machine than I have off the C200 that I bought now.
1: Interesting. So what do you have your eye on next for equipment?
0: Unknown. I think um, I'm more interested in certain types of work and then what what machines those lead me to.
1: That makes sense. What type of work?
0: Medical is still really where I want to find myself. You know, I don't want to get rid of the work I have. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I hope to keep the contracts I have for a long time. My dad's, of course, in, in mostly automotive and, and plumbing. And I, I hope to be in that, you know, at some point if we can buy him out. But I, I really hope to have A portion that is medical because I'm I'm interested in the parts and I'm interested in the industry and I know a lot of people in that industry, so that's that's my goal.
1: What advice do you have for another person who wants to start their own shop? Because it sounds like you've you've had some good trial by fire and you've made it. The
0: only reason I've made it is because I had mentors that walked me through things. Jake Granger and my dad. Without those two guys, I would not be in business anymore. And uh and that's just simply because you know, at some point when you're starting a company, you're gonna be in a desperate position because you've made some mistake, you know, whether that's you just smashed up a machine that you couldn't afford to smash up or you bid a job that you didn't bid well and you're making parts and losing money on every one or whatever it is. And so having some guys who know the industry well, know the machines I was running well and could give me real time advice as to what decisions to make that was huge and uh continues to be for me
1: sure and if you could go back and do anything different in your startup would you or or is it all just um sort of meant to be as it is
0: uh no (laughs) you know i think It's dangerous to think about what you could have done differently to a point, but you don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I made so many mistakes the first year that cost me a lot of money. You know, I took the wrong types of jobs. I bought equipment too early. You know, I I assumed I would have a job running three months. And instead, I had the job running in six months, but (laughs) I'm making... $20,000 a month payments and stuff, you know, just, just really bad decisions in the beginning that really jeopardized my company's future. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, we survived it. I think to this point anyways, you know, we didn't make enough bad decisions to fail. And so I'm grateful for that. And so, yeah, we just move on, try to learn from the mistakes we did make.
1: Awesome. Just a couple other questions. What's something you learned last week? (laughs) I bought a new machine
0: last week It hit the floor and I hired a company to come out and do the turnkey on it, but found out that the install, the alignment and leveling of the machine was not done. And so the turnkey company I had to send home. And so I would make sure that uh, when I bought a new machine, it was leveled and aligned properly before I brought in my turnkey company behind them. Uh, That would have saved me quite a bit of money.
1: All right. Good piece of advice. What machine was that?
0: Uh, I don't want to throw the manufacturer under the bus, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> withhold.
1: That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and um do you have anything else to say to the people of the world while you have your your ears to everybody on the Great Swarfcast?
0: <laughs> no, I I enjoy the podcast. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for doing it. Thanks to the other people that participate on it. I listen. I. I love, I feel like in manufacturing, sometimes we just don't, there's not a good network to learn from other people that are going, you know, it's nice not to repeat other people's mistakes, you know, if someone's already learned something. And uh, I love your podcast. It's one of the few places where you can, you know, you can learn from what other people have already learned. You know, Um, I watch Titans of CNC, you know, uh, on YouTube here and there. And, it's just, you know, he has he, he tells you things that he's done that have not worked out and things he's done that have worked out, even though he's, you know, he's doing different things than I do and, and all that. But anybody that's willing to share their experience, it's it's nice and it's, it's good to learn from.
1: From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising, or to submit an idea for a future podcast, Follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.